Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unofficial Unreal Engine podcast, where we talk about Unreal Engine and candied humbugs. We're your hosts, Alex and Jacob. I was going to let Jacob say his own name, and then I stopped it. Sorry, Jacob. But uh, before we get started, please remember to like and subscribe and uh, follow us on all the socials, wherever you watch and listen, so that you can hear more of our episodes whenever they come out. It's a bit of an irregular schedule, but we hope it's worth it for all these fun discussions that we have. Uh, today's a bit of a special episode, isn't it, Jacob? It sure is. And I, I do apologize for, for that irregular schedule. That's that's entirely my fault. <laughs> I, I want I want everyone to, to know that it, that one's on me because uh, I, uh, I I have a bad tendency to to get through editing and then it's just that next step. I just gotta I just gotta get it done. So I, I'm sorry. I, I, I am sorry. But hopefully you enjoy the episodes. Hopefully we can keep making them. But it's a special day today because we got some guests with us. Woo! Special holiday episode. Uh, with us today is the infamous Debbie Deer and Ari Tar. Say hello, guys. What's up, everybody? <laughs> hello. Uh, unmuting, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge. But yeah, nice to be here. Thank you. Hello. hello. Excellent. All right. And wh why do we have them here today, Jacob? That's a good question. So, uh, you know, it, for, for avid listeners of the podcast, of which uh, there, there has to be some of you, I'm sure, you know, we're just getting started, but I'm sure we have some avid listeners at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll remember from last episode, we mentioned that Alex had a performance, uh, coming up, uh, of, uh, the Christmas Carol in VR pixel stream, cloud stream tech packed. It's, it's really quite cool. Using and, Unity. No, just kidding. Yeah. Using <laughs> unity, of course. And it's just wrapped up. And we thought it would be a good chance to bring on some cool people to chat about that project, to chat about Unreal Engine. So without further ado, uh, why don't we give them a chance to introduce themselves? Debbie, you want to start? Sure. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah, so I'm Debbie Deer. I'm from Jamaica originally. Um, I'm actually here vacationing now, hence the pineapple shirt. And um, yeah, I'm a performer. I'm a VR, XR enthusiast. I'm a producer, writer, director. I have ADHD, but I've channeled it, you know, into something. Oh, oh we lost you, Debbie. Sorry. We oh, lost you for a second there. Oh. <laughs> we'll give her a second to come back. Yeah, it's part of the ADHD. It just makes things uh, <laughs> break up into different pieces. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Do you want to do you want to get started while while we let her just uh, reconnect? Absolutely. Um, hello. Hello. I am uh, not currently in Jamaica. I'm in the United States. Uh, my name is Ari Tar, uh, and I have been an actor uh, most of my life, and I came into doing uh uh, creating XR content about eight years ago after creating a lot of uh, projection mapping sets for theater and uh, interactive installation experiments. And I now teach VR theater at uh, York University coming up next year. And also uh, with a Canada Council of the Arts funded fellowship that uh, Debbie Deer and I are partnering on, which is um, the conversations we have that we which was a connection that uh, brought her into this project, which is something I'm, I'm really grateful for. So, welcome, Debbie. I think we have Debbie back with us. We are too. Okay. Should I do like a news anchor thing? And we're back. Sorry nice about that. <laughs> <laughs> these folks. 
Um, yeah, so as I was saying, I, I was in on this project with Alex and Ari as three ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, as well as Dickens's long lost, um, unrequited uh, fiance, which I didn't know existed. So um, <laughs> long it was lost. long lost, yeah. So it was an extremely interesting project, but um, to just tie it into what Ari was saying, I'm also the fellowship director for the PXR conference. Some of your enthusiasts or your avid listeners will know that it is a Canadian-based um, VR slash XR conference in Canada. It's the only of its kind that focuses on live performance. Um, started off as a presenter last year, and now I'm actually directing the fellowship. So Ari and I will be making magic and, you know, doing the Unreal Engine dance, which I'll talk a little bit about. Yeah. Sure. And before awesome. we go too much further, I, I just want to establish, because most of our audience has seen us talk about very technical, like in the weeds and real engine things. Debbie, Ari, would either of you selves, your, you selves, would either of you selves uh, consider <laughs> yourselves uh, Unreal Engine developers? Double down on that another time, Alex, please. <laughs> you you want to answer for yourself, Ari, first? Yes, uh, I will. I, I actually, none at all. I have developed a lot of uh, VR theater uh experiments and shows but it's always been in based in unity and i've always been interested in unreal engine but um you know in my, in my experience up until this point uh really the only thing that has allowed my entry to doing regular shows is a mobile headset where when i started with adventure lab and and uh that allowed me to to get a, a really an, uh, an audience from around the world to start seeing these shows uh regularly and so uh, I really didn't think it was going to be a possibility. What I teach right now, for instance, at the university level, there's a whole lot to learn, even with the kind of low poly stuff that typically the Quest is is known for with the with the GPU that's on board a, a mobile headset. So you know it, it's fairly limited, but there's still like a lot you can do there before you get to like photorealism that Real Engine can do, and then. I got to work with Alex last year doing some really innovative cloud XR stuff that we partnered with Actors Theater uh, of Louisville. So really between this kind of the ability to do it and, and the housing of this really legitimate theater uh, pr producing it, it was a really amazing first taste of what can be done with like incredibly gorgeous looking, realistic metahumans with full body and face tracking with cloud XR spinning of GPUs so that someone watch, could watch it on home, on a quest. And, you know, it's easy to say, it's much harder to do. And, it, you know, it's all juggling so many different kinds of pieces of software and it's fringe. So it's everything is a very precarious balance held together with tape and glue. But the fact that we could do it, I think is pretty monumentous because it's a little taste of how this kind of production is gonna work several years down the road. Uh, virtual production plus XR, it's, it's really, we, we define these things as separate genres, but they're all becoming a lot more fluid as XR tech gets better. So um, who knows where we're going to be by then, but it's definitely going to involve Unreal Engine in, in some way. Debbie, how about you? Well, for me, I'm a, an Unreal Engine developer by proxy. Mm. So like it diffuses into my blood through people like Jason Spanu, who was the, the Unreal Engine developer for Nefertiti. Um, mm which is the VR film I was talking about. 
And how that came about was it was originally supposed to be a play and then COVID happened and I saw him messing around with Unreal and then I was watching The Mandalorian a lot and I was like, how did they do that? So he said, that's mixed reality. Like we could do that with Unreal Engine. And he's, he smokes a lot of weed. So I was like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was like, is this, is this like a high inspiration thing? Or can we actually do and it synchronistically happened that I had access to a free green screen studio for like four months. And I would be in there with him for four months, like working day in and day out, learning this program and like literally working with a guy named jo- Josh. I can't remember his last name, but Josh works with very high-end um, companies on Unreal on, on Engine productions. And he would come in and light our sets and like show us all this programming, like Axymetry. And we went the gamut of Unreal Engine to try and get the perfect composite. And so I would say that I don't know the inner workings that well, but I know my way around Unreal. Um, and I've only done two VR projects and both of them happen to be in Unreal. Um, <laughs> the second one is is a, a VR story called Found in Stories. And it's based on African diasporic stories from a character called Anansi, who is our Spider-Man. And uh, that came about because I was being mentored in the Scale-Up Immersive Program. And of course, Jason, he's my lifesaver. So I was like, I need you. And it was unreal again. So, yeah, awesome. That's, that's my story. Yeah. Well, so clearly some some very diverse backgrounds here, and some really awesome projects that you guys have worked on. I I think it, it's worth taking a step back to to describe what the Christmas Carol is from a, a high level view, and then I'll let Alex maybe take it and, and dive into some of the details of the production, and and we'll we'll start passing it around. But I want folks who are listening at home to have an idea of kind of what we're chatting about. And uh, I'll just jump right into it. So the, the Christmas Carol, I first learned about this production um, because Alex was working on this cool Cloud XR thing uh, and somehow ended up uh, uh, on my desk, so to speak, uh, <laughs> at the company I work for. Uh, and I was very excited to see, to see this work uh, because actually I think Alex was one of the f- first people probably in the world to leverage this in, in a real way, uh, which I was very excited to see. Uh, and Alex, I know there's a team around you, so it, <laughs> that's not uh, to, to blow your horn too much. But um, that said, uh, it was really exciting to see. And what The Christmas Carol does is provide a, a window into this production that you just really can't get. Uh, Ari was mentioning uh, these limitations with uh, mobile headset GPUs. And so uh, this this process or this production utilized uh, cloud streaming. So you spin up GPUs in the cloud, you render stuff, and then you're streaming it to a headset. Uh, in this case, or this year, it was also streamed to a browser, which was cool to see. Uh, and there are, it's really a fantastic experience. I really recommend that everyone check it out. It sounds like Alex wants to do this every year, uh, and I, I encourage that because it's really quite cool. Uh, so if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, definitely do. Uh, but there's a, an incredible amount of technology and a really awesome cast of folks who, who I, I, I've seen from the, the outside uh, uh, really put together something special 
um, with you know live performance and VR and all sorts of really cool tech. So I'm really excited to chat about this. Uh, but I, I don't even know if that was a good overview or if it was just me fanboying about it. But that's that's what it is. Uh, and I'll, I'll pass over to Alex to maybe explain it a little better. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't want to go too much into the, the details of all this. Everyone should watch my, my GDC talk uh, if they want to see uh, a, a really deep dive into where this all came from. But the, the short version just for our podcast audience is that there was already going to be a physical production of Christmas Carol performed by Actors Theatre of Louisville last year. And uh, they wanted us to produce in Unreal Engine videos that they could project onto scrims for their live actor performing there. And I thought, well, geez, if we're already going to have all these motion capture characters, like that would be so cool to see in VR. Could we also do a live VR performance? And they said, sure. And I said, do you think the actor who's going to play Scrooge on stage wants to have like a motion capture suit under his costume because we could maybe do that? And they're like, no, he doesn't really want to do that. And I was like, well, there's a guy I know who I've been wanting to work with in a meaningful <laughs> capacity for a while, uh, who I think would love to be, you know, potentially the, the one man show of this. So that was Ari. And uh, I know Ari was very inspired by like the Patrick Stewart one man version of uh, Christmas Carol that he saw when he was much younger. And so last year it was just Ari as a single actor. And we had kind of a wish list um, after last year, which was, you know, just Ari, just VR, um, a few other limitations for what could happen for the audience that we wanted to expand upon for this year. We really wanted to be able to add an additional performer. So that's how Debbie came in. And we really wanted to make it accessible to people who didn't have VR headsets. So that's where Pixel Streaming and also the, uh, the YouTube live stream was able to come in, which I also thought had some nice advancements in making a theater show cinematic. Um, we had Carlos Austin, who's all around the VR scene, um, filming everything in there, <clears throat> including like Jason Moore's meta movie, among other productions. And uh, I tried to set up a camera system for him so he could pretty easily switch between like ABC cameras at different moments throughout the scene. So that was a really fun thing to start to uh, dive into. But I know we don't have a ton of time left with our actors, so I do want to get the, give them a little bit more of a chance to talk about their experience, especially first and foremost as creatives and not people who needed to be in the guts of Unreal Engine, like moving things around. So thinking about this from a, a motion capture, a, a, a puppeteering, a mask work, a um, dramaturgy perspective, I'd love to hear both Ari and Debbie talk a little bit about how it felt translating their performance um, through this lens. Your theater audience is just clamoring to know all the, all yeah. the juicy theater details. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the main thing is, uh, even though I didn't have uh, Unreal Engine development experience, uh, and, and to defend Unreal Engine developers who smoke weed is just, <laughs> just for it to be a very professional person who does not use psychoactive substances it is still very psychedelic just to talk about the basics of <laughs> using this medium creatively and and professionally so um you know uh, working last year uh robert fleming who was the director was an, and really really incredible and has an incredible understanding of the of the language of, of Dickens and the the time and, and really we get a deep dive into the, the history uh, and he especially wanted to create a, a version that included the the people that were being colonized by the British Empire at the same time and and you know it 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 it's it been very interesting also to, 
to learn as I, as I dove deeper into this production, it's like actually A Christmas Carol was one of the most popular pieces to be interpreted in stereoscopic photography, which is very early VR, and also by the Magic Lantern, which it was pre-cinema, but this was sort of like a pre-cinema with these hand animated photographs and, uh, that were projected. And, and so, you know, in, new technology has been used to tell this very same story since the 1850s. So, um, but I think, you know, and I have a lot of experience trying to tell stories with new technology, whether it's production mapping and, and doing it in Unity. In tw- I made a prototype in 2016 to do something that was very similar that back then we had to write all of our, basically everything from scratch. And, that, and, and, and you know, what I learned was how to keep a cool head and, I, you know, doing fringe tech means that something's going to be breaking all the time. And so you just have to, whatever you end up doing, you do a version of it and there's backups for your backups. And that is the current state of where it is and, and how sketchy it felt kind of back in 2016 is where this feels now. And I definitely think, you know, this is obviously where things are going, but it's not easy. It's not easy to do this. And mostly I think the skill that I, I trained myself that I brought to this is just keeping a cool head and being able to communicate despite all of the all of the turbulence and the friction between you and the audience and still somehow making a connection through a game engine and all kinds of dicey internet connections where <laughs> it's it's basically one number different and you're and instead of doing a sensitive show with an audience member, you're creating a horrible David Cronenberg nightmare. <laughs> Especially when you take a motion capture suit off and it just kind of crumples into this oh, like no. spider body. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, and to draw suit. to draw a difference between Ari's performance and Debbie. So Ari was wearing a Rococo suit, had a Technoprops helmet with live length face. And um, whenever he was live, some parts were pre-recorded. It was his whole body and his audio. Debbie, on the other hand, because we weren't able to get her a motion capture suit, she had the interesting challenge of having um, live length face for her face and audio with her voice. But her body was actually all of the pre-recorded movements from the original production. So yeah, Debbie, how did that feel? That felt really weird initially. (laughs) Because, you know, you do feel disassociated, right? Like you you have the urge to like make movements, make it your own. But of course, you're completely reliant on your face. That's it. Your face, your eyebrows, your tone of voice, which Ari really helped to work through me. You know, for those of you who haven't seen it, Ari plays a thousand and one characters. <laughs> like he goes from burly cockney man to like six-year-old girl the whole gamut and I was just really impressed and I'm like okay I'm doing four characters in this thing how do I modulate with just my face right so I feel like it was an interesting challenge and I do feel that as a performer it it highlights your your skill set and your ability to deliver a performance um, in a way that doesn't hinge on body movements you know so that's what I would say was really interesting. Um, I could go deeper into the live link aspect if you want. Um, so for me, I have a background in tech in that I've always skirted around it. You know, like I've been like an inputter of tech things, editor, like I've always loved it. So for me, like communicating in that language, even if it's unfamiliar, it still tickles my brain. Um, so I will say anyone who's planning to do this, brush up on your tech skills just basic coding, basic like navigation for terminal, 
um, because this is kind of like the, the gateway to bridging your face into this software. Um, and I'm sure Alex, you'll go deeper into that at some point. Um, <laughs> and as Ari was saying, like in the event of inevitable tech issues, um, definitely brush up on your improv skills. And patience. And <laughs> yeah. patience. Um, so, yeah. so, so Debbie, give, given that you, you, you know, you said you were kind of skirting around tech for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, now that you, h- how has this experience maybe changed your point of view? What, what was your experience working with, you know, uh, Unreal or real time in general on this project? Like, what is it that excites you? What, what do you feel is still needs to be fixed? You know, that that kind of stuff. <laughs> Well, what excites me is the ability to like instantly switch a character in a scene. Mm-hmm. Like that is mind boggling, you know, like it's just next level quantum leaping right before mm-hmm. your eyes. And the the nerd in me is just absolutely tickled by that. <laughs> and I think the potential of what that could do, it would probably fry a few people's brains, but those <laughs> who got used to it would just be like, this was worth it um, because it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to watch. So I think that piece is knowing what, yeah, we're on the, you know, periphery right now, but imagine like two, three years from now, like it's going to be wild. So that's one bit and it's, it's changed my thought process in again, it's, it's a process getting to know how do you make these tools communicate well and like make the audience not feel the pain of the production (laughs) 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 because that at this stage is a huge challenge, like making it go just like inherently smoothly, like a regular in real life theater show. So um, I think that it's changed my perspective on what's possible and it, it excites me a lot to to work on something like this again. Very cool. cool. Mm-hmm. What, yeah. So what would you say is the biggest drawback? Like what is it that you think is, 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 not not as good as you thought or, or you think just doesn't work you know uh, yeah i think what what is the biggest drawback is just like troubleshooting that's really yeah. it like constantly having to re-input information take information out you have to be very agile you know not to punt but you do have to be right. quick on your feet and that can be taxing for you know people like myself um also I think what could have worked better was like the you know Ari you're brilliant like you can play all these characters but I think having more access to other characters as he embodied them would have been great you know sure yeah so uh uh, Alex go ahead I I was gonna say quickly too so I think a lot of people they they think about these tools that we have access to the motion capture um, face, body, et cetera. And they assume that it's a one-to-one translation. This is a perfect representation of your performance. And uh, without spoiling what I know both of you would say, like, how do you, how do you take someone who's like, it must be so cool to have this perfect, you know, translation of what you're doing into a digital medium. Is that how you think of it? Or is there a little bit of a twist on it? Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, The ideal is so wonderful, right? This infinite expressive tool. Uh, However, I find so much, I go back on the lower tech skills of like mask and puppetry because as I learned to use motion capture live software, Coco feeding into, and live link feeding into Unreal Engine, 
inevitably it's not going to work perfectly. And so you have to make it work and deliver the engine of the mocap suit is doing this for some reason. And you find that you have to compensate and you have to stay calm and you need to now do this with your hand behind your back because that's how it's going to look normal. That's something you're adapting with on the, on the fly. So you're, you're constantly as a live actor and able to think on your feet, you're able to spackle over all of the glitches and make the audience's precious time if they have been able to jump the technical hurdles to get to a live experience with you to make their time worth it, despite all of the technical issues. And, and often we find, depending on how many there are, sometimes you know glitches can even improve the performance. And like that high wire act, as you said, it's very important to remind people that this is actually live space you're inhabiting with other people to like really trigger those smear neurons. Um, uh, before we go, though, I want to. I think Debbie got to to air some unreal uh, a laundry. I have. <laughs> I just had. A, I, have, I have my unreal shout out before we go. Great. Um, that I'm curious about. Anyway, uh, well, that. I'm just gonna shout out. Firstly, Matt Workman, who doesn't know me at all. But... <laughs> We've shouted him out a couple times in this podcast. Yeah. Already. Yeah. 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 Matt Workman is so incredible because without Matt Workman, there would probably not have been a Nefertiti, to be honest, because we like comb through those videos and that's how we establish our workflow. So YouTube University, Matt Workman, get on it if you haven't gone on it already. Um, And I guess I don't really have a big gross. I mean, Unreal Engine, like the biggest thing, which we all know, is going from 4.27 to, is it 5 or just right? We're in 5.1 now. 5.1. So obviously for those of you who are developers, like, you know, that it just, it crashes. Like if you try to like, you know, import projects, I don't even want to talk about it, you know, so building, <laughs> the trauma is still fresh. It's, it's so new. It's too soon. It's too soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so live like, theater with any technology is you're asking for pain, but with XR technology, it's cute. The pain yeah. is like it is exponential. Ooh. It's pretty, it's rough, but it it is possible. Yes. And it and it is worth it. But also I think you have to be a little bit obsessed. And maybe it is a little sprinkle of if <laughs> I do find that there is a bit of neurodiversity in those who stick with VR because most sane people are like this doesn't work yet. Yeah. But, <laughs> True. Yeah, uh, but it, but we are capable of so much. I mean, the interesting thing was this is it was last year's version of Christmas Carol was a fairly literal interpretation of the simultaneous live version, and it was and it was very by the book and it's very well done. And this one, we still get to do that, but just we we got to sort of open it up a little bit as a, as using Unreal Engine as, as kind of this expressive tool, this kind of magic lantern of the imagination that Dickens used to call it. And uh, and I think next year, as we just, you know, loosen things up a little bit, like what if the audience can change? What scale they show, see the show? I mean, are they a firefly? Are they in the room hovering around your face? Are they in the room with you? Are you a tiny, uh, maybe puppet show happening on the table? Like uh, how, you know, we're we're just trying, we're just starting to see how using these platforms can make people feel in brand new ways. And, you know, Unreal Engine has the ability with, especially to shout out, shout out to MetaHumans is mm-hmm. an amazing software. And that's really, that was an, a watershed moment where, for correct me if I'm wrong, the reason that we're doing this is all of a sudden we had access to using these mocap tools, which were fairly pro, prosumer 
uh, that were accessible at least, but the metahumans that they just sort of, that they, that they release are incredible. And so, you know, I, I think up until now, there's sort of a lot of questions that we haven't had to think about, but now when you have an incredibly real, a realistic looking person with a realistic looking race, uh, you know, that, that opens up a lot of really interesting questions and, and, and sex and gender and like, okay, all of a sudden, we were these sort of low poly cartoonish avatars, but when, as we're moving into really realistic representations of people, how does that change how we feel about them and how do we treat that ethically? And these are the kind of questions that I'm really glad that uh, people like Debbie are, are in the conversation for because they shouldn't be made by people like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. So, so both of you, before you, you jump, I, what I wanna know is, if if the tech issues were fixed, you know, if you had all the pain wiped away, what is it that you would do? What production would you want to make? What kind of stuff would you want to do with this technology? If it all worked in a, in this magical world, no crashes, no bugs, no bugs, no wires, no batteries. <laughs> well, I mean, so Nefertiti just got accepted to Fringe Festival uh, this year. So, and, um, and I was talking with, um, I'm not going to say the company name, but they're known for immersive theater, you know, and it's big venues, like 52 projectors, all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, wow, this is amazing if we could get this done. But then I always think about the hardware, you know, yeah. hardware just makes it harder. So... <laughs> I would want to just completely extricate the hardware and just get a wearable that just puts you more in the action. And if yeah. not that, like like a simple wearable, like a contact or not even goggles, but something that just makes you forget that you are actually having to put something on to immerse. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the next best thing is like some kind of projection or hologram that kind of merges with that, you know, VR world. So the world is a construct in VR, but the hologram puts the action in front of you, you know, and right. you in it. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Workman. Hello. <laughs> okay, I got two real quick. Can I put them out there? Great. Uh, the future use that I want to see with Unreal Engine is definitely in therapy, especially if I was in uh, med tech for a little while building uh, worlds for live therapy sessions and I got to meet Skip Rizzo who's curing PTSD using VR immersion therapy with veterans and you know there's a lot more that Unreal Engine could do of you know if there are ways that we can use Unreal Engine for therapy to create really realistic um, memories of trauma that can then be cleansed for some people I think that's a really wonderful use of, of, of that I think via you know and the more I use VR to recreate immersive theater it's all about empathy and a lot of you know, uh, not to get all high and mighty and start turning this into Patch Adams, but you know, artists as healers has had a lot of had a lot of history. So they, they, you know, they, they it's interesting. And and the FDA just approved uh, VR for medical use. The other one is in education, and so obviously I'm teaching VR theater, but I can't help thinking about metahumans and its relation to anthropology. So I would really love to figure out more. If I had my druthers, I would understand what is the what is operating behind metahumans and how are you changing skeletal structure and how could you recreate ancient humans especially you know, australopithecines and create like very realistic 
anthropological recreations of uh, Paleolithic humans, I think would be really uh, important for you know, studying the, the, these fields. Cool. Well, those are some some pretty uh, pretty big ideas, guys. So we'll uh, you know uh, we'll tell well, I thought I get would on it. Context. Right? That's awesome. I yeah. Well, we'll tell Epic to get right on it. We'll we'll let Matt Workman know for sure. <laughs> Matt Workman, I mean, if you're listening, you're always welcome on the podcast. I don't, I don't like know cool if we've said that. Eyes. We may have said that before, but, you know. Because I'll do it if I get cool. Twice. Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to let you go, guys. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Um, the moment you leave, just so you know, we're going to keep talking about you. Uh, so don't feel anxious about that. It's going to nope. be great. <laughs> I got this. You got this. It's recorded either way, so I'll be watching you. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a record. Right. Oh no. <laughs> Thank you. So Thank much you so much. Thanks for having us. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. All right. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. I wanna I, I, I definitely before we end this episode, I want to chat more about the tech behind this and and how how this happened. I guess we could just jump right into it. Yeah, I it. mean, what is it that made you want to do this in this way? Like uh, there, you know, we, we heard a lot about pain and, and suffering, like what, what made <laughs> what you made think, Hey, it? this, this could be worth it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm a big theater geek and um, I had kind of a, a watershed moment when I was in college studying abroad in London um, watching some of the best performers in the world across dance and theater and music. Um, very, very close. We have this professor who always was able to get us like in the first couple rows of all the shows we went to. And I didn't realize how different a live performance felt from a world-class performer when you're six feet away from them compared to being in the nosebleed seats, compared to being in the front row with like amateur performers and compared with watching those very same performers who are world-class in the cinema, a close-up in film is very, very different from you are sitting six feet away from them and it's yeah. live. And so ever since then, that was 2008, I've kind of been chasing this idea of how could that actually uh, be democratized and be turned into something that could be more accessible to the general public? Because most people in the world, 99.99%, are never going to get to go to London and have the experience I had in particular. Um, so when MetaHumans came out, when cloud computing started to become more of a thing, when LiveLink Face and uh, and other motion capture technology started to become more accessible, I started to think, how cool would it be to see that level of translation of an actor's performance into a digital format that's happening live that could then be viewed by people from all over the world and you could feel that same sensation of being six feet away from a world-class performer, particularly in VR, because then you get that sense of scale and presence and these nuances yeah. become apparent that, again, you just don't get from something like a flat close-up in film, which is what you would get if you were seeing the 2D YouTube live stream uh, of that kind of experience. So I, I really wanted to have that moment of, uh, of being up close to Ari and Debbie when they're like right in character doing their thing. And uh, it's happened a few times during rehearsal, during the show, and it gives me goosebumps and it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it is really cool to see. And you don't really uh, recognize the, I, I, I mean, so I, I should say, 
this year I I watched it via Pixel streaming because yeah. I I I I ran too late and I didn't get it sideloaded. And I was like, ah, okay, I, I got to just VR figure this out. process is too cumbersome right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I watched it via uh, uh, in VR last year, and I was just amazed because I, there was just so much that I felt was missing from VR in terms of visual fidelity, especially on the on the you know the the mobile headsets. And I, I mean, it, it wasn't even that you couldn't achieve you know, um, you know, decent looking graphics on, on, you know, something like a quest. It was more that you made so many sacrifices yeah. to get there. Right. And you kind of, I mean, there, there are people who navigate it well, you know, good examples being things like robo recall mm -hmm. and, you know, there's, there's, uh, what was red the one we were talking too. about before Mar uh, the red, red, red matter. matter. Yeah. Like those, those games go way above and beyond to optimize and, and to really fine-tune things but i mean it, to some extent you can still see that but when you jump into this experience i remember just being like wow this this really feels special and then to have the live component there as well where you're you're getting to interact with other people there was a moment last year and i, I think you guys treated it a little differently this year but last year where you know everyone was a little like flame kind of floating around you so all the other you know participants were there and you can kind of see them uh, you know, they were kind of present and that just added something really kind of fascinating and special to the experience. So I, I was pretty excited to, to see that uh, it was possible to see the kind of visual fidelity that you could bring. So it, it was really exciting to see. Yeah, thank you. And it was important to us to make the experience more accessible. So, you know, VR to me feels like the most VIP premium way to see a show like this. But for a lot of reasons, people aren't going to necessarily do that. They don't have the VR headset. They don't want to deal with sideloading, et cetera, et cetera. So being able to open this up to pixel streaming, just a single link to click, and now you're in a browser interacting with the show as though it was running on your computer, even though it's running in the cloud, and just a YouTube live stream, which is very passive. But Yeah, nice I, I didn't out. know you guys did that. That's That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think it was awesome. So you're going to do this every year, right? This I hope so. I think it's a wonderful little time capsule of the the technology and, and passions that me and my uh, my other collaborators are so excited by where, you know, we just did a postmortem discussion, the whole team of a couple hours ago, and half the discussion was hey, here's how we felt about this year's production. And the other half was like, we're so excited for next year. What do we want to try to have in place yeah. for then? And that includes things like we really want our actors to be in VR instead of using Live Link Face. And all that technology is, is coming online now for that, where you can get a pretty high level of facial capture while someone is still in VR. And that allows for much more of a connection between the uh, the performers and their audience. So that'll be really cool. And who knows, maybe we'll have uh, XR in the browser, right? We'll have yes. WebXR or something like that. That would be a fun addition to, to, to make things more accessible, right? Yeah, uh, Ari and I first started to get to know each other working in Mozilla Hubs. And that is a platform that I think is kind of a gold standard in terms of accessibility because you go to a browser link and you click on it and it's like, oh, we detect that you have a VR headset. Would yep. you like to join directly in your browser or would you like to be in your VR headset? And it runs great on all these different platforms, but it is constrained by whatever hardware you're using. There's not a cloud component. So to yep. do that, but it's like WebXR plus pixel streaming, that's kind of the, the holy grail of what would make this uh, the ultra level of accessibility and really allow for um, amazing experiences. Right. So from your perspective, what, what, you know, what, what is the biggest thing you, you still want to improve? Like where's this going, Alex? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, that's a good question. So, I mean, we we were talking today earlier about how we would love to be able to do a show like this for 10,000 people. And what would that look like? Um, assuming some percentage watching live stream, some percentage using browser pixel streaming and some percentage in VR. And one of them was a very, one, one version of this was a very interesting discussion about bypassing the typical Unreal Engine multiplayer system where everything has to be replicated in a certain way. Yeah. And instead actually sending out data in in kind of a, a clever way that's already part of the cloud streaming system we use where every client is kind of just telling everyone like hey here's my name and here's where i am and how potentially in theory this system we're describing could allow for you know let's say 10,000 people all in unreal engine all as part of the same experience um, as long as there's powerful enough hardware on the cloud to render everyone, there wouldn't necessarily be the same typical multiplayer limitations of that. Uh, it is so important to me to not just be part of a live experience, but to feel seen and feel like you're there with other people. My yeah. company did uh, some work for Samsung a few years ago that was all about um, making you feel like you're at a live event through stereoscopic 360 cameras. And that was really cool, but it also felt very lonely. So what you were describing, Jacob, about like seeing all the other ghost flames in last year's production, like we were sorry to miss that uh, this year. And we'd love to be able to bring that back because it is really cool to just get a sense of like, wow, everyone's congregating over there right now. I wonder what they're excited yeah. about. And to just feel like you're part of this, this other audience. Christmas Carol also lends itself well to that because there's a few moments in the traditional script and also in our script that uh, refer to all these other ghosts, all these other spirits and specters that, um, that new Scrooge in life. And so we like the idea of casting the audience as also all these other ghosts oh, that that's are kind cool. of collectively haunting Scrooge. So being able to give the audience more agency, more interactivity. We have a few great ideas for moments where the audience could work together to either um, help or hinder Scrooge's progress in the story. So there's a lot of really fun uh, uses of Unreal Engine that we're excited to to continue to explore. You know, sure. and, and this big long list of like things we want to do, it's like, Awesome if we can do it in 2023. If not, we'll try to do it in 2024. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, what, what, it'll be an Unreal Engine 5, 5.8 or 6 or something like that. Oh, uh, we yeah. can we can hope, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, one of the things you, you told me that, that stuck out was, you know, it's pretty unique that you can just kind of put down a production and pick it back up. And yeah. Just opening up the Unreal Engine 5. Like, that's that's a pretty cool thing, right? That's That's very unique. Yeah, I, I was part of a, a theater troupe when I was in architecture school. We were actually called the Warehouse Architecture Theater, and it started as just architecture students. And we wanted to be very, like, green and sustainable. So rather than throwing away our sets at the end of every production, we actually got the school to give us a budget to store them. And it was such a hassle to try to, like, pull those sets back out. And some pieces had broke and, like, to try to reuse them for different productions. And the Unreal Engine version of that is so easy. Like, we just yeah. have our repo of... Christmas Carol, and we can just, in theory, just keep pulling it out every year, dusting it off, creating a new branch or whatever to, to see what kind of experiments we want to do, and then remount it. So, you know, uh, the the potential of this being a, a very low budget, lightweight, um, uh, stable production, I say stable, knowing that that's been a challenge so far, but I'd like to imagine we'll get to that point where it's very stable and easy to do year after year with you know, a week of rehearsals uh, before before the actual production needs to start. Sure. Man, I, I mean, uh, so everyone look out for yeah. next year. We'll, we'll certainly check back in uh, and hopefully we can look forward to a, a, another version of The Christmas Carol next year. Yeah. But why don't we push on to some other stuff? I know we, we had a few other things to touch on. We do. Uh, before the end of the podcast. 
one oh. really quick thing I just wanted to shout out uh, to, to give um, Ari credit here. Uh, so as he said, he's not an Unreal Engine developer, and yet he found the MetaHuman tools so easy to use when those first came out. I asked him if he wanted to take a pass at designing Scrooge. This was last year, um, just to see if he felt like he could create, like if he could sculpt a character that resonated with him. And like I'd made a version of Scrooge and a few other people did who had more experience in Unreal, more uh, experience in uh, Unre in MetaHumans. And yet what Ari crafted on his own, first time using MetaHumans, I think it took him maybe uh, an hour and a half, was brilliant and it was almost like looking at the for anyone who's seen like the appendices of lord of the rings where you see the development of smeagol and Gollum, and it slowly becomes a little bit more like andy circus and this kind of almost caricatured version of him like the version of scrooge that ari crafted on his own using metahumans that we then incorporated into the show was really cool and i just love that as a performer he was able to take some ownership over that artistic process and uh, and bake that into the workflow and you know that hasn't really been possible before yeah. I mean that that's a good point. I, I I think that one of the really cool things that Epic is 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 doing with Unreal Engine as a platform is trying to make things more accessible for folks who are are, are non-technical, and I think that's a really awesome thing. Um, you know, the fact that LiveLink, uh, you know, you can get a, a an app on your iPhone and just hook it up, and yes, it still requires a bit of tweaking. It's not that simple, but if you hand the phone to someone and it's connected, you just hand it to an artist they're going to get the idea immediately. There's not a whole lot of strings attached. And that's pretty yeah. cool, right? And it goes beyond that, right? There's just a ton of tools inside the engine now uh, that are kind of aimed directly at that. There's tons of tools for people to build, you know, that kind of layer for people on set or in a performance, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's just so cool to see that stuff. And the fact that it's just given out for free, you know, yeah. metahumans, just give it out. <laughs> like, see what happens. Like, that's that's a pretty crazy concept. Um, and so certainly that's a, that's an exciting thing about Unreal Engine in general. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it, and it was very cool. I might have mentioned this when I was discussing Korea, but showing people how to very quickly, like, scan the head of someone using something like Polycam, uh, put that in Unreal Engine, use the mesh to metahuman pipeline, create a metahuman out of the scan of that person, and then use live link face to puppeteer that person, which someone can then look at inside VR or in a looking glass or through pixel streaming. Um, it's it's a very quick way to blow people's minds. Yeah, sure. I, I actually, I don't know if I've I, I've seen that because I missed that part of your talk oh. uh, at, at Unreal Fest. Yeah. But I, I gotta I gotta see that. Because I, I haven't played around with MetaHuman as much as I would have liked, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty it cool. It keeps getting better. Yeah, I, I need to dive in and explore some of the new features as well. I should also mention, by the way, that Christmas Carol, to this point, was still in Unreal Engine 4.27. That was primarily because we were waiting for Lumen and Nanite to be compatible with VR, and we'd already kind of started production by the time 5.1 had you know, stabilized, even though it still has a little ways to go before it's stable. So, you know, by next year, of course, we'll certainly be in 5.1 or 5.2. And uh, it's just, it's such an embarrassment of riches, the fact that we keep getting all these new features and free tools and the acquisitions that Epic makes that we get yeah. to take advantage of. Uh, we just, I think, Jacob, you and I both just feel so lucky to be uh, able to take advantage of so many of these things. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and actually, this kind of brings me to a cool topic uh, uh, that I... I I've been meaning to bring up and that's, uh, you know, this past few weeks or really, I guess, about two weeks ago, um, there was an announcement about Verse. Did you hear about this? I, I heard a little bit. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. So uh, 
Tim Sweeney posted on Twitter, and I'm going to find the post because I cannot for the life of me remember who the person was that gave the, the talk, um, but that they had been working on their own programming language uh, for doing quote unquote metaverse programming mm -hmm. inside of Fortnite. Um, and look, I think no one is particularly surprised at this development which is why it really wasn't all that big of an announcement. Also, people aren't as big nerds as, as you know, Alex and I are, so they probably don't care about things like programming languages. <laughs> uh, here it is. Uh, Simon Peyton Jones gave the talk. The post is by Ian Kettlewell um, at Kettlecorn on Twitter. Um, but it's a talk about this new language that they believe is going to be the tool that let's everyone become a part of developing the metaverse. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty fascinating. I, I, I spoke with a few folks um, uh, with my work, uh, some, some even bigger nerds than me, if, if you believe that, uh, uh, who, who think about things like writing programming languages. Uh, and it was pretty cool to see the reaction. I, I mean, uh, the, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, the title slide and, and the title card is about, hey, you know, do we really need a new programming language? Well, no, but it was a cool, you know, we had some cool ideas, so we might as well. And that also kind of encapsulates Epic, right? Is we're getting all these features and they're like, do we really need to make this easier? No, I mean, the feature was already there. I mean, they've been doing this for a while. Features that are already there that you could already do, but, you know, we're going to make it just cooler. We're going to make it more accessible. We're going to make it uh, easier for people to use. That's that's really awesome. So this this program language, I'm not going to go too deep. Uh, it's super functional. It's like, and functional is not like as in it works, as in like. It's, it is a function logic language. It is not very readable is really what that means. I don't know how they're going to turn this into something that. I mean, they claim they want it to be as easy as JavaScript to learn. And I'm looking at this thing and ah, I don't know about that one, but <laughs> um, it is pretty cool to see some of the things they've done here. It's a huge 60 something page document um, that outlines what they're thinking, but uh, it's really quite interesting. And it kind of lends towards their broader goals and bringing accessibility to this thing that they're building, which presumably is Fortnite becoming the metaverse, right? Mm -hmm. like, uh, something like that. Um, I, I don't think any of this is particularly surprising, but it, it is quite cool to see. Yeah, that is really cool. I, all the articles are just like, this thing's going to topple C and C++ and, you know, they're, uh, they're very excitable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for, for the programming nerds out there who have used things like Haskell and, and such, no one really uses Haskell anymore. Um, because the, the you know functional programming has been really replaced by object-oriented programming languages like uh, you know Python and and uh, JavaScript etc. Um, but uh, I'm actually people are probably going to get upset at me calling JavaScript really object-oriented. You know, for, forget <laughs> about it. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved in this conversation. Angry comments. Yeah, I all all my point is to say is that. Um, there's lots of programming language out there. You know, this is something that you can go really deep on. Uh, but if you just read the title card, the few, you know, the first few title cards, 
and, and just read about like, okay, here's what we want to do. Like the goals, I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool. The goals that they laid out here, the fact that they're trying this, the fact that they're going to, you know, put this in people's hands, they have the ability to put it in people's hands, you know, maybe 13 year olds start programming in verse. I think that's pretty cool. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. So very exciting. Good, good rant, part. Jacob. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We got to pad the time out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I, I figured, so there, I think there's two more things that we should probably cover. This yeah. is probably our last episode of the year. So one would be um, just predictions, hopes, whatever we hope to see in 2023, maybe highlights of things that we were really excited about in 2022. And then I know, Jacob, that you're much more up to date than I am about all the exciting things happening with Fortnite. And I would just love to hear you uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, well, why don't we start with Fortnite, and then we'll end with some nice predictions for the year. Great. Um, Go ahead. Hit me. All right. So, I mean, this this was exciting because so my my fiance and I we we play Fortnite together. It's one of the one of the only games that doesn't make her nauseous to play because it's third person. Um, I'm surprised though because you move so fast in yeah, Fortnite. Yeah, you think. Uh, I don't there. know. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it, it's uh, it's one of those games that we really enjoy playing together. It's a lot of fun uh, and. One day we loaded up Fortnite and there was, it was the start of a new season, which means, you know, you kind of get a new map or whatever. And I jump in, I was like, something looks different. Something <laughs> looks, something's interesting here. And then we get in the game. I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. And all of a sudden Fortnite was like the best looking game on the planet. <laughs> and it was completely shocking um, because it, Okay, it's one thing to have a really good looking game. It's another thing for me to get a new looking game for free. And what I mean by that is, A, of course, I didn't <laughs> pay <already> for <laughs> this upgrade, right? I didn't pay to get the new, you know, Ultra HD version of the game, right? It's like the Last of Us remake that was like $60 still. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't pay for it. But I also didn't need to go out and buy a new GPU. I didn't need to, you know, this wasn't like a battle for fps i didn't have to like think about oh, do i really need to buy a 3080 you know all that shit right i it, i just got it and it looked beautiful it looked incredible uh so what happened for folks who 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 don't know is that uh, the engine was uh or fortnite was moved to unreal engine 5.1 and so in 5.1 you know we spoke about this last episode all the huge stuff that came in this release and it, and now it makes even more sense why there was so much in this release. And it was because they were targeting this release for the next major version of Fortnite as well. Um, so they had to pack as many features in as possible because they're all going live in Fortnite. Um, but uh, it was really exciting. Um, so in, in, in this latest version of Fortnite, they utilize Nanite, uh, which means uh, in particular, what, what stands out is things like foliage and grass and um you know, uh, uh, surface detail, stuff like that, that uh, full, yeah, I mean, like trees and grass and like stuff like that just added so much to the general feel of, of the game and, and the immersion overall. And then Lumen, of course, they added uh, uh, now all the lighting in um, Fortnite is, is Lumen. Uh, so you get real-time shadows and just incredible global illumination. It just looks amazing. And if you don't believe me, if you've never played Fortnite, just it's free it's free guys just download it just load in just just to appreciate what epic has done with this game because it is beautiful and it is a complete masterclass on unreal engine development 
Uh, and it's really a showcase of all the features that are being built in Unreal Engine. So really, I recommend if you haven't checked out Fortnite, you should, uh, because it's really, uh, like I said, pretty incredible. Um, it, like, I can't, I can't understate that. It, it's just really awesome. It runs on a phone. It runs on everything. They, they lowered the minimum spec for the game and increase the visual fidelity, you know, 10 times. That's like the holy grail, you know? <laughs> so I was I was shocked and my fiance was very upset because I would just be running around and then I stopped it like, oh my God, look at that. Like they, you know, they added uh, uh, um, subscattering in the leaves. I was like, oh my God. And then we'd get shot and die and we had to start over. But uh, it, it was a good time. What platform do you play on? I play on PC. Yeah. I, it, so my fiance plays on the, the PS5 in the other room. I play on my PC here uh, and we have a very good time. Yeah. Have you played with the, um, I remember one of the more hilarious things to come out of the um, Apple and Epic legal battle was um, Fortnite becoming available via cloud streaming, yeah. just like the Safari browser. Have you tried it that way? I actually haven't, surprisingly. I pr probably should. I, I mean, I, I can. I also try it uh, in a virtual workstation, stuff like that. And and that, that works pretty well. I will say, though, for Fortnite, like latency is, is very important if you want to be competitive. And I assume that was a concern for Epic as well. But I mean, you know, what, what choice did they have, really? Uh, so I haven't tried it, but I would be open to it for sure. Yeah, I tried it on my iPhone and the uh, the resolution was incredible. And I was just wondering, you know, what kind of uh, cloud computer Epic is giving to everyone. Oh, it's, it's probably run. a T4. I mean, <laughs> it, because the game is so performant, they could put it on whatever, right? Yeah, so it's probably true. something like a T4. It's just ubiquitous and all over the place. Um, do you, do you think that's, that's also what what MetaHumans runs on? Uh, MetaHumans, I don't believe run on those. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was AWS, and I believe they're using the G five instances, which are like their A forty five hundred gotcha equivalents. Um, but there's not very many of them, uh, and that's why they had to roll it out in beta. I don't know. They might have switched it so that the the metahuman uh, uh, creator is no longer in like the cinematic mode. I I haven't used it in a while. Uh, I, you're you've used it way more recently than I have, so mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure. But it's probably something to that extent. Cool. All right. Uh, should we move on to things we liked about 2022 and things we hope for in 2023? <laughs> Let's do it. You first. Uh, hey, you know what came out in 2022? Unreal Engine 5. I actually oh, had to just Google it. Top out. Come on. <laughs> no, no. Well, hold on, because I it <laughs> so much has happened since Unreal Engine 5 came out in May that a part of my brain was like, wait, maybe it came out in 2021. And to be fair, the early access version of it did. But um, the number of, of improvements and features and all the stuff coming on with um, Unreal Engine 5.1 now and Lumen and Nanite expanding to foliage and um, stuff on the horizon for 5.2, which by the way, anyone can download the source code of off of GitHub. Uh, I saw a preview today of like skeletal meshes working with Nanite, which mm, is super exciting. That's cool. Um, yeah, and the demos that came out too, like the Matrix City sample demo, um, which continues to be an incredible source of inspiration as I as I dive into all the ways that that city yeah. is made. Um, the um, 
the Lyra or Lyra multiplayer demo was incredible and has taught me so much about how Epic Online services work. Those have been some major highlights for me. And OpenXR from the VR side, really getting more of a foothold. So it's becoming easier and easier to create like one Unreal Engine experience. And this is something that I really liked about Unity back when I was more focused on Unity. And Unreal Engine is very much catching up on this, that you can create a single experience and pretty easily now export it as a, you know, web-based experience, a Windows experience, a Mac experience, a VR experience, a VR experience for different headsets, standalone versus PC versus Windows Mixed Reality or Vive or Vario. Um, so I'm really glad to see some kinds of standards evolving and yep. maybe skipping ahead a little bit to what I hope in 2023. Um, uh, it, it might not happen. It could absolutely not happen, but there's a lot of signs that point to Apple finally releasing a VR yeah. headset. And because of all the beef between Apple and Epic Games, like I'm so worried that it's going to be, here's the worst case scenario. It's an incredible headset that's a super locked down walled garden and they don't support Unreal Engine. So uh, it's not- No, they have to, they have to. <laughs> do they? They have do to they? support Apple. Unreal Engine. They, can they do gotta play nice on that one. Yeah, yeah. But I keep thinking about that, how much that would suck if that becomes like the new de facto standard headset. And they're like, yeah, we actually aren't going to let Epic do anything on this. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, I, I get the feeling they will. I, I mean, at least I I hope, yeah. right? Well, um, and I'd, I'd also just like to see Apple embrace OpenXR. I think OpenXR is a wonderful standard. And so many great companies ha have said, yeah, sure, we want to make this unified standard for making yeah. it so a trigger is a trigger is a trigger across all these devices. And it doesn't look like Apple will buy into that. So it's well, like, well, oh. if I remember clearly, uh, Apple is on is in Kronos Group, right? Aren't they? Are they? I'm gonna Google uh, that. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm way ahead of you, man. Uh, let's see <laughs> who, who's who's in the Kronos Group. Oh, yep, they are. They are. Okay, okay. Um, so they're they're there. They know. So is Epic. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're there. All right. Some of them can play nice. I I, I think that um, it, it would be very silly of Apple to piss off uh, right. developers and creators in that way. They they've never really done that uh, um, to creators, at least the consumers. Yeah, fuck those guys. But right. creators, developers, they know not to to piss off in general. To be clear, though, I am seeing all these these uh, statements saying like, yes, Apple is a member of the Kronos Group, but with the OpenXR spec, they have a list of the companies that have agreed to the OpenXR spec. And Apple's not one of them. Notably absent is Apple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the other thing to remember, I guess, is that Apple has Metal, uh, right. you know, which is their own graphics API. Yeah, that's right. Um, and my assumption is that anything that is going to be built on a an Apple VR headset is going to be Metal. That sounds really like I'm talking really about metal. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be metal because they want it to run on multiple devices, right? Like, and that makes sense. If I was Apple, you, I would do the same thing, right? Like I have this ecosystem built around this graphics API that honestly has never really seen the light of day mm -hmm. for the most part. Like it's really just been used for like 2D animations inside of apps. Yeah. But all, we have these huge GPUs in our phone that are like sitting completely idle. That's uh, true. So it, would be, it would be silly of them to not utilize the 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 standards that they've built and have been working on for so long. Um, so, I, I mean, that's not necessarily a, a factor into OpenXR as a VR runtime, uh, but certainly, you know, you have to imagine their own runtime is an Apple runtime. Yeah. It, it might, if, if I had to guess, if I had to shoot a guess for 2023, it's that Apple uh, allows you to... Um, 
uh, has some easy process for converting OpenXR projects to their ecosystem or something like that. I and then so. once you're in their ecosystem, everything's beautiful, right? Like, I mean, that's what they do, right? Uh, so that would be my guess. But sorry, I, I cut you off. Well, well, give me some no, more predictions all... for next year. Get... Yeah, well, let's go back and forth a little bit. So yeah, so okay. now you, something you liked about 2022 or something you're excited about sure. for 2023. Uh, I mean... I, I, I'm going to start with the cliches as well, which is the Lumen and Nanite. I, I can't explain how oh important those are going to be for creators uh, in the future. Um, just really kind of, uh, it's going to feel like the way we used to do things was like developing with like no arms, no legs, no eyes, you know, like it, because it, it's really the, the amount of time you spent inside of Unreal optimizing um, was for people like me and for people like Alex, like that was part of the fun. I don't know. For me, at least, it was definitely part of the fun. I really liked that. That's how I learned a lot about Unreal Engine. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't need that to create things. Like I don't need that process in order to build build things to kind of build a vision of what I want. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm excited for for the folks who are going to come to this ecosystem, not have to worry about all that. Like yeah. skip to the good part. I think that's great for Unreal. I think that's great for creators. I'm really excited about that. Um, Real quick, for those who don't know, I've been teaching my kids, you know, the basics of Unreal and VR for uh, a long time. And my seven-year-old, he's working on this dragon game in Unreal. And I'm showing him some of the pieces of how it's set up. And I was explaining, oh, the dragon's very uh, high poly, so we should probably create some levels of detail. Uh, and he's like, oh, what's levels of detail? And I started to explain it. And then and I, I like, stopped myself. It. And I was like, you know what? This is yeah. not going to matter for you. Uh, let's just say that, you know, I'm going to do a thing real quick that's important now. Probably won't matter at all a year from now. <laughs> and yeah. he's like, okay. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in reality, that's that's probably true to some extent. Or at least you won't have to think about it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of it. So I think that's really exciting for me. To, to give a prediction for next year, I mean, one of the big things that kind of came into the spotlight at the end of this year was AI, uh, you know, AI art. And there's a huge dialogue here. And I, I think we spoke briefly about it and kind of how it relates to other uh, um, evolutions of art. And I won't even attempt to claim that uh, everything that is going on is ethical or, or uh, is the right way for uh, you know, this technology to influence creatives. I, I won't make that argument at all. But I what I will say is that similar to how Lumen and Nanite simplified this process and simplified the ways in which folks can create, I am, I'm really excited for this next year to see where things go to making tools even more accessible, to making 3D content more accessible. You know, YouTube made video accessible and made, made it so that people could have careers off of cell phones and, you know, dial up internet, right? What can we do with that next step uh, for 3D content? I think there's a huge window there um, that I think AIs can play a big part in because the, the more that people are able to just express themselves and shape and tune and, and sort of develop a vision instead of thinking about all the the bells and whistles i think we'll, we'll introduce a lot of people to this ecosystem and i'm excited to see what people come up with even if it's stuff that i don't necessarily like you know i that's that's part of the process is people are going to be that you're we're going to see explosions of content in this next year of of stuff that you know 
we probably won't like, we probably won't think is very creative, won't think is very, in, in, uh, you know, uh, uh, interesting. But then I promise you, there will come a point where people start to really innovate with this stuff or, or really start to push boundaries or, or there's an individual who builds this amazing project that he just simply could not have done on his time and budget uh, if it wasn't for the sorts of tools assisting them. And I think that's going to be really exciting to see. Yeah. I mean, I remember the early days of the internet uh, very clearly just feeling like, oh, there's a, so many terrible GeoCities websites everywhere. Yeah. Uh, you know, every so often you'd find some gem of someone who like really figured out how to harness the tools available at the time to create something that was, um, I remember seeing someone's like tour of their house that like gave this whole breakdown of the history of their house and the renovations they were doing and the the photos and drawings that they all had done through the website, it felt almost like playing a video game. And, you know, there will always be people who do that kind of thing. Um, you're also making me think about um, a quote I saw someone say where they're like, you know, I see a lot of people trying to use GPT-3 and, and different AI systems to try to replace the job of a smart person when really the best way to use it is to imagine what you could do if you had infinite dumb people yeah. <laughs> and to utilize it in that kind of way where you actually can accomplish sometimes very mundane tasks, sometimes actually fairly sophisticated tasks with these tools behind you, whether it's for art, whether it's for code. Um, Jacob, have you seen some of the examples of people using AI to actually write code for them? Oh yeah, so I, I mean, I, to be fully transparent, I've been using GitHub Copilot for a oh, long cool. time now. And if, if there are programmers out there who, who spend time in, in an IDE, GitHub Copilot is great. Because when you need to write just a stupid function that just does something, and you're just like, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> you just write a comment, you hit tab, and it just spits out something decent. Wow. And you know what? Initially, I was very critical. You know, I'd go in and check it. Now, I feel confident enough where I'll say, that looks good enough, and I'll just run it and see what happens. Like, I'll just say, uh, let's just see if it works first. Like, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. And a lot of the times I, I feel like I can build off of it, right? Now with ChatGPT, um, it, it goes a step further and that it has way more contextual uh, uh, processing kind of capabilities in the sense that you can give it a prompt. You can say, hey, could you do that, but a little different? Um, and, and that's a really cool feature to have as a developer. Um, so for example, I was working on a project. I had to write a regex. So for, for folks who don't know what regex is, in programming, if you have like strings of characters and you want to identify parts of it, or you kind of want to like pattern match on different, you know, sequences of characters, you use a regex. It's like just a ubiquitous thing. Every programmer hates writing regexes because it's just not very intuitive. You got to remember all these symbols. You got to remember, uh, you know, all, all this back propagation, all this stuff. I, I went into ChatGPT and said, hey, could you write me a regex that does this, 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 and this? And it just spat one out and yeah. it worked first try. You know, and that that to me was like, I would have spent hours just just like figuring out which symbol to put where and and just like doing one and and it just spat it out. And that's the kind of stuff that I, I really love. Now, in reality, um, it's gonna accomplish more than that, of course. I, I mean, this that's a very limited example. Uh, but you know, we're going to see that a lot of roles right now that are are highly are considered highly technical are going to be more creative, uh, is is my guess, right? We're going to see people become more, you know, curatorial in their role really than 
uh, necessarily ha have to have all the technical background. Of course, if you're a cybersecurity expert or you're a, you know, uh, someone who's really interested in those fine details, you're probably pretty worried because <laughs> the propensity for, for example, an AI tr to introduce a bug into the entire world's code base is quite possible. It's there, right? And the people who are making these models know that. Um, so we'll we'll see how this develops, but certainly it's it's insanity to watch. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of this in Unreal with uh, people using uh, GPT three, for example, to create like dialogue trees for characters. Um, you can have it create I, blueprints. Did you know this? I know. I was I was just going to ask yeah. you: Have you seen anyone do this for like blueprints or C plus plus? Yes, you can ask Please. it for a blueprint that does X Y Z, and because it's text, it can do it. Um, wow. You can have it. Yeah, That's and GitHub Copilot I'm, that can do that or a different one. No, ChatGPT. Oh, ChatGPT. Chat, ChatGPT. Okay. If you ask ChatGPT to write you a blueprint that, like, you know, prints X Y Z, the, you know, it can't do anything crazy. But right, but still, like, you it, know, it, remind it can, me how to make a raycast that can um, yeah. do a line trace and tell me what the do the math. Like, if yeah. you can have do it do the math, do the math yeah. for you instantly, <laughs> you can have it write HLSL. You can have it. Yeah, it's That's pretty really cool. cool. Wow. Um, yeah, so like I said, I think it's going to become a lot of roles are going to become more curatorial. They're going to become less technical. Um, and, you know, I, I had a, a long conversation with with my partner about this um, because, you know, my my background is that, you know, I, I, I would consider myself a technical person. Um, but at the end of the day, like my, my passion is, is to, you know, create. Uh, you know, create art or or assist other people in doing that. Like that's that's really how I got into to the position I'm at is because I really enjoy giving other people the tools to go out and and, and create things. Like I think I find that really empowering. Um, and part of me says, you know, this is this is maybe a bit of a sad moment for some people. <laughs> like this is going to be a very sad moment uh, for you know, for example, like uh, in compositing and VFX, like. Uh, every day people spend hours and hours and hours, you know, rotoscoping, cutting people out. I think we talked about this. Yeah, we did. Yeah. You know, cutting people out. Those people probably won't be doing that, mm -hmm. you know, in a little bit. And that's that's going to mean some amount of devastation. We'll, we'll have to see. Um, so I, I guess I'm a bit conflicted, but. Yeah, but you, you hope that people can then take their skills um, elsewhere. I, I think a lot about, um, I think we already mentioned it, the excellent light and magic documentary series on Disney Plus. And you see like right around the time of Jurassic Park coming out, you have Phil Tippett and all these amazing like stop motion animators yep. who suddenly felt like they're out of the job because of what CG could do. But a lot of them then went on to learn how to use the tools that still helped create the CG dinosaurs. And, you know, they could still go on to to do kind of hybrid versions of stop motion and CG. And uh, you always want to hope that that kind of retraining will be possible for people. Um, but yeah. the skills don't become obsolete. They just need to be like pivoted a little bit in a different direction. Yeah, that, that that's obviously the hope. I, I think, I mean, but I, I think we should be realistic about what the outcomes here are, though, because, um, you know, technology doesn't, you know, once the cat's out of the bag, it doesn't yeah. go back. Like, that's just not Never. how it works, right? Like, you, you can pass laws about restricting, you know, the the, the use of technology. You can do all those things, but it, it doesn't usually work. You know, it does, just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, and, and obviously also legislation and, and you know, people's livelihoods, um, you know, People's livelihoods don't wait for legislation, I should say. That's, that's true. Right. Um, in the sense that, 
you know, we saw these huge image models come out with tons of images that were not, you know, uh, given to them or given the rights by artists. Yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of incredible lawsuits, I'm sure, that are going to happen. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it's some people are going to get thrown under the bus. There's just no way to put that nicely. Uh, and that's that's a really unfortunate part of, of what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, at some yeah, point, would... we got to accept it to some extent. I know. And I, I know this would be uh, very hard to do because of the, the level of training that people would be lacking. I'm thinking about like how, yeah, when you have like an, an image AI system like Midjourney uh, or Dolly that you are scouring, you know, millions and millions of images to create that model. And some people would actually make the case that it kind of in some ways makes things look kind of samey. But I would love to see kind of an opt in artist consortium yeah where, like, you agree to like here's all my artwork i'm okay with it being trained in here and you get some amount of like you know anytime an image is created that was uh using some amount of of what it trained on with your model there's some kind of little royalty that comes from that and maybe it becomes like spotify and it's not actually like that much in the end but at least something like something that just starts to acknowledge all the incredible artists yeah that this is being built on the backs of yeah, for sure. I and I actually have seen a few things like that. And if I can find the name, I'll shout out their their oh, platform. Please. Yeah, I think this is one of the things. I I don't know if this is a feature of their platform or uh, actually because I don't know that I'm maybe not going to shout them out. But what I will <laughs> say is that there are folks who are who are thinking about this. Um, I don't have explicit permission to share their product roadmap, uh, so <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Uh, but there are some cool people doing that. Um, and yeah, I think there are plenty of ways in which we can opt in artists to the process. Um, but I, I, fundamentally, a lot, a lot of people, including ourselves, are going to have to adapt and change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Unreal Engine is is an incredible tool, and it can do a lot. Um, but there are pieces of of this process. I mean, we, with Lumen and Nanite, like we spent a lot of time learning that stuff, yeah. and we don't need to know it anymore, right? Like, <laughs> what what does that mean for us, right? <laughs> Uh, in the same way that there's going to be uh, other technological advancements that are going to come in and, and replace the need for certain processes or, or thought process, you know, uh, you know, ways of thinking of things. So that's that's my prediction. But uh, I, I hope that we get some some clarity or, or we see a little further into this process and, and see uh, that it's maybe not as bad uh, as, you know, it's kind of uh, it appears on the surface. I agree. I'm also super distracted because, you know, I'm just going to share my screen for a second, sure. um, even though uh, we haven't shared our screen at all this whole discussion. Um, I, I just got really excited by you saying we could do blueprint. Uh, and the fact that it actually gave me like this description chat by chat, uh, for those who are doing the audio version, I said, uh, give me an Unreal Engine 5.1 blueprint code for getting a player's position in the game. Really simple ask, but you know, maybe I'm I'm yeah, blanking yeah. on how to do that. And what it says is to get the player's position in Unreal Engine 5 using blueprint, you can use the get actor location node. This node is available in the actor category, the blueprint palette. Here's an example of how you can use this node to get the player's position. Step one, and it actually goes through step-by-step step yeah. what to actually do. And then it actually does like a little, um, almost like ASCII version of what the blueprint would look like. Uh, which is very cool. So what's interesting is it didn't actually give me the blueprint code, but it gave me like basically the nodes to use in order to achieve what I'm after, which is super cool and trippy. 
Well, I, I will say the first step there, drag out a reference to the player character from the My Blueprint panel and sure. promote it to a variable is nonsense. <laughs> right. That's, yeah, you, you can see like how all of that yeah. almost makes sense, but not quite. Yeah, it doesn't. It, that's not quite there. I, I, I am curious, though, if you ask it to generate the the uh, the um, the Blueprint text that you can copy paste, like, I don't know, try something. First, I'll just ask it if it can do that. Uh, no. Oh, oh, wait. Like, oh, oh you no. can have it generate C code. I know that. I've seen that a bunch. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe see if you can get it to generate the the C class instead. Sure. Or C uh, uh blueprint or something. <laughs> yeah, a, 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 okay. A vector object. Here's an example. Sorry, I'm sure this is boring for anyone who's Food not the watching header. the header. Yeah, for folks who are wondering, we're just watching Chat GPT generate yeah, things. That's just, what this podcast is now. It's just live, oh, live commenting Chat GPT. Yeah, now this include game code. framework actor. That seems relatively okay. A player uh, control. Yeah, I mean that's fine. Uh, <laughs> there's no class, so you wouldn't be able to use this anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it is cool. It is cool. I'll give it that. Oh, Alex, you're. Uh... I know that was that was my phone dying, so I'm now just a, a blinky, um, evolving Pokemon, as you said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we should probably wrap up the episode. <laughs> this is great. That was the last right. thing you've seen for me for in for the year 2022. Yeah. Well, maybe just turn your camera off so we, we can rest. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well. Um, do you have any last predictions you want to throw out there before we wrap? Up? I mean, I'm I'm really hoping to see kind of what alluding to what we were talking about earlier, like a web XR based version of of the cloud streaming um, to make all the power of Unreal Engine, particularly in VR, uh, more accessible to the masses. Because there's so many people now that have the standalone wireless headsets like the Quest, and a lot of them just don't know what they're missing out on because of the fact that they can't see nanite and lumen and all the you know goodness that unreal engine can offer only at the desktop level and uh, and just being able to ubiquitize that to to a mass market would be a wonderful thing to, that i'd love to be yeah. a part of helping out with in uh, 2023 so i hope it happens yeah i would say my last prediction along those lines for for this next year is that um more and more stuff is going to become a a part of the browser i think that's mm. a trend that we've seen a lot um you know pixel streaming is one situation um you know pixel streaming specific to unreal engine is one uh, but there's a lot more uh that can be done uh with that and, and i'm excited to see kind of where that goes so the, the, to the extent that we can make more and more applications more and more types of uh you know uh I, not just creator uh, applications, just applications in general, uh, make them accessible, deliver them, you know, where people are, stuff like that. I, I, I think that's going to become more and more popular this next year would be my guess uh, to, the, to the extent that you're talking about. Well, 
Awesome. Uh, <laughs> do you have any shout outs for this week that you want to mention? I, I have one that I remembered here right at the end. I won't hold, hold you to it if you don't have any. Um, I mean, just because we were mentioning the AI thing, I wanted to give a yeah. shout out to um, Andrew Maximov and Promethean AI. Uh, Andrew's a very cool guy. I met in Sofia, Bulgaria at the Total Chaos Conference. And um, he is a former Naughty Dog employee who started to develop an AI system in Unreal Engine for generating um, assets and environments. The first demo I saw him give in 2019 was, uh, I think, inspired by Stranger Things. And he opened up a blank Unreal Engine project and just said, you know, show me uh, a bedroom of a kid from the 80s. And as Jacob was alluding to, potentially there being a future where it's more about curation than direct creation, he demonstrated a very cool workflow where it's like, okay, here's a bedroom that totally looks like it's from the 80s and it has all sorts of detail and knickknacks and posters on the wall and you know ruffled bed sheets. Um, and then he kind of showed like, okay, now maybe you modify this and you change things around and make it a little bit more in line what you want. Uh, but the idea here is it's a starting point. You're no longer stuck with a blank canvas. You have something to react to and something to go off of. And if you're someone like uh, like my wife, for example, uh, talks about how she really likes editing things, but she doesn't necessarily like creating things from scratch. And so I think entering a world where you do get to kind of react to something and say like, oh, well, now that I see that as an example, I know what would make it better uh, is very exciting. Yeah, very cool. I, I need to check that out, honestly. I don't know if I've seen, seen his work. But um, awesome. I, my, my only shout out for this, for this week uh, is the announcement of uh, Ken Levine's new game Go, uh, uh, from Ghost Story called Judas, Judas that I'm very excited about. I'm a big uh, Bioshock fan. Um, and that game announcement really got me excited to see some, some new content. And the reason I mentioned it here is it's an Unreal Engine game. Oh, cool! So there you go. Though I believe even Bioshock was. I think I Bioshock was an early Unreal Engine game, if I if I'm not mistaken. I know uh, Infinite was. Bioshock Infinite certainly was. Um, so, anyways, that's uh, a fun shout out for this week. Yeah, amazing. I always awesome. like when I when I find out a game was made in Unreal Engine, I always like trying to figure out which version of Unreal Engine oh, it yeah. is. And so I think Bioshock Infinite was Unreal Engine three uh infinite uh no that would have been early four i think i think um it's all a kit bash anyways right it's yeah yeah like, uh, but i believe it was unreal engine four if i'm not mistaken uh the original bioshock was certainly uh three huh cool because right. it was one of the first released on xbox 360 was was the original bioshock yeah well, well anyways cool. we're getting right. distracted some shout outs yeah we're we're um probably getting a little bit sleepy uh, to all a good night and that kind of good stuff. Um, I hope everyone has a, a wonderful holiday and, uh, and I hope it's been a good 2022 for you. And I hope you have an amazing 2023. You too, yes. Jacob, not just Thank you. you. You too, Alex, as well. <laughs> uh, for those folks who have made it to this point, like subscribe, you know, all that junk and definitely have a great, uh, great year. Uh, we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you in 2023. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Bye all.